All right, let's talk about the second half of volume two of Pride and Prejudice. Uh, Elizabeth has just discovered that, or believes, that uh, Darcy himself was responsible for removing Bingley from the neighborhood and dashing her sister Jane's hopes of marrying him. And she's reading over Jane's letters and realizing how depressed Jane is. And so she is as upset with Darcy as she ever has been. And it is, of course, at this time that Darcy, the next morning, where Darcy calls on her and makes his proposal of marriage. Uh, this is uh, chap volume two, chapter nine, uh, page 131 in the Norton edition. Uh, look at how Darcy opens up his uh, proposal. In vain I have struggled. It will not do. My feelings will not be repressed. You must allow me to tell you how ardently I admire and love you. All right. Now, if he had just gone with that last sentence, that would have been a lot better, right? But he starts out with, oh, you know, I've struggled against this. You know, really, I shouldn't, but I just can't help myself. I like you. And it says that he spoke well, but there were feelings besides those of the heart to be detailed, and he was not more eloquent on the subject of tenderness than of pride. His sense of her inferiority, of its being a degradation, of the family obstacles which judgment had always opposed to inclination, were dwelt on with a warmth which seemed due to the consequence he was, he was wounding, but was very unlikely to recommend his suit. So I, I, I love the you know the, the, this very prim tone that uh, Jane Austen has in here. Uh, basically, she's saying, yeah, he he didn't talk so much about loving her as you know what uh, uh, that she's really not worthy of him. Her family, she's poor. Her family is is um, uh, not well mannered. All of these things he he uh, talks on, and this just makes. Elizabeth man. Now she's shocked. She had no idea that he felt this way. But it says that she lost all compassion in anger. Uh, so she's just getting madder and madder. And then uh, Darcy says he concluded with representing to her the strength of that attachment which, in spite of all his endeavors, he had found impossible to conquer. And it says that you, you could tell by his expression he had no doubt of a favorable answer. So here he's come in and made this proposal, and he's, well, of course, he's Darcy. He's this rich, eligible bachelor, um, and she's really far below him. Of course she's going to say yes. Um, and But Elizabeth, of course, does not say yes. She says, I have never desired your good opinion, and you have certainly bestowed it most unwillingly. And he, of course, this is not the answer he was expecting. He gets angry um, and, and kind of demands, I might perhaps wish to be informed why, with so little in, uh, endeavor at civility, I am thus rejected. And Elizabeth comes right back at him. Uh, you know, they've always had these arguments, but this one has some, I mean, the stakes are obviously a lot higher in this one. And it says, uh, I, I might as well inquire, replied she, with what's, uh, with why, with so evident a design of offending and insulting me, you chose to tell me that you liked me against your will. 
I said, really? This is how you're proposing? Telling me you like me against your will? Um, and she says, um, had not my own feelings decided against you, had they been indifferent, or had they even uh, been favorable, do you think that any consideration would tempt me to accept of the man who has been the means of ruining, perhaps forever, the happiness of a most beloved sister? So now it's all out in the open. She's been stewing about this, but she says, look, I know you're the one who's made it impossible for my sister Jane to be happy. Uh, do you think, even if, even if I liked you, do you think I would marry you knowing that? Uh, and she goes on, you know, I have every reason in the world to think ill of you. Um, and now Darcy does not shy away from that. He says, I did everything in my power to separate my friend from your sister, uh, and I rejoice in my success. So he's not even sorry about that. So now it's getting even more worked up. Um, and Elizabeth comes at him with another piece of ammunition. Your character was unfolded in the recital which I received many months ago from Mr. Wickham. Um, and uh, this is in the middle of page 133. Darcy says, You take an eager interest in that gentleman's concerns, said Darcy in a less tranquil tone and with a heightened color. Who the... Uh, who that knows what his misfortunes have been can help feeling an interest in him. His misfortunes, repeated Darcy contemptuously. Yes, his misfortunes have been great indeed. And you, and of your infliction, said Elizabeth with energy, you have reduced him to his present state of poverty, comparative poverty. So now now she's accused, she's accused him of... of uh, uh, the problem with Jane, and now of ruining Mr. Wickham. And he's, he says, This is the estimation in which you hold me. I thank you for explaining it so fully. My faults, according to this calculation, are heavy indeed. But perhaps, he added, stopping in his walk and turning toward her, these offenses might have been overlooked had not your pride been hurt by my honest confession of the scruples that I had long prevented me or my forming any serious design. So see, he's, he's saying, oh, well, thanks for all that. But clearly, the real reason you're rejecting me is that you're just, uh, uh, your pride was hurt because I told you that I had uh, had reservations about uh, about you because of your uh, low social status and your, and your outrageous family. Um, and he says, Elizabeth felt herself growing more angry every moment. She's just getting more and more pissed off at that, at this. And she says, uh, you, this is the top of 134, you are mistaken, Mr. Darcy, if you suppose that the mode of your declaration affected me in any other way than as it spared me the concern which I might have felt in refusing you had you behaved in a more gentlemanlike manner. She saw him start at this, but he said nothing, and she continued, You have not made me the have, uh, you could not have made me the offer of your hand in any possible way that would have tempted me to accept it. Again, his astonishment was obvious, and he looked at her with an expression of mingled incredulity and mortification. She went on. From the very beginning, from the very first moment, I may almost say, of my acquaintance with you, your manners impressing me with the fullest belief of your arrogance, your conceit, and your self-disdain of the fe and your selfish disdain of the feelings of others, were such as to form the, that groundwork of disapprobation on which succeeding events have built so immovable a dike. 
I said, look, I, I didn't like you from the moment I laid eyes on you, and you haven't done anything since to make me like you anymore. And he said, you have said quite enough, madam. Okay, yeah, that's, that's enough. I, I, I get the point. Um, uh, so he st- storms off. Now, this is, um, think about this in comparison with the uh, proposal that Mr. Collins made. Uh, that one was also rejected, but that one, it, it's a much more comic scene, right? Because it's there, it's clear that uh, uh, Mr. Collins is just, you know, he's, he, well, he's not very bright. Uh, and, and when when Elizabeth refuses him, he just says, oh, well, that's what all young ladies do. And there's really nothing, uh, there's no personal animus on Elizabeth's side. It's not, she doesn't hate Mr. Collins. She just knows that she could never stand to be married to him. But Elizabeth really dislikes Darcy, and she has some very specific reasons for it. So it's it's a much more dramatic scene, um, and uh, it's uh, I mean there's something comic almost in in Darcy's kind of smug his smugness being knocked off its pedestal here, or at least something satisfying in that. Now in the next chapter, uh, most of the next chapter is the letter that Darcy has written to Elizabeth. He finds her walking on the grounds, as she tends to do, and that uh, it gives her this letter, this very long letter. And I want to go through this, and because he is kind of defending himself here. This is on page 136. There, he says, there are two offenses of a very different nature that you've accused me of. He says, that I detached Mr. Bingley from your sister, uh, and that I had blasted the prospects of Mr. Wickham. Uh, and he points out that these are two very different, uh, you know, very different. If uh, uh, he actually doesn't seem to take the uh, uh, separation of Jane and Bingley very seriously, he said, but if, if what you said was true about Wickham, that would be very, very serious indeed. And so he says, you know, from the evening of that of the dance at Netherfield, that's when he realized that Bingley really w- was falling in love with Jane, and he also hears that. There's, as he says, a general expectation of their marriage that uh, he's been overhearing Mrs. Bing, Mrs. Bennett talk about this, and everybody kind of expects that they're going to be married. And then he says he observed Jane. Your sister I also watched. Her look and manners were open, cheerful, and engaging at ever, as ever, but without any symptom of particular regard. And I remain convinced from the evening scrutiny that Though she received his attentions with pleasure, she did not invite them by any particular participation of sentiment. So what Darcy is saying here is that he didn't see any sign that Jane was really in love with Bingley. He could tell Bingley was kind of falling for her, but he didn't think it was uh, reciprocated. And he says, well, you know your sister better. If you tell me she was in love with him, I have to take the only word on it. But I didn't see any sign of it. But then he goes on and says, well, he had other objections to their marriage. There was the total want of, of, uh, mostly, he says, their total want of propriety in the family. Um, And observing the family and the way particularly Mrs. Bennett behaved and the younger sisters behaved, um, it was, uh, he didn't feel like it would be a suitable match for Mr. Bingley. But he makes the point, that the real objection was what he perceived as, as Jane's indifference. And this is in the middle of 138. He says, 
I condescend to adopt the measures of art so far as to conceal from him your sister's being in town. He says, that's the only thing that I'm really sorry for, uh, that I, I lied to Bingley uh, because I knew that Jane was in town and I didn't tell him and didn't let him know because I was afraid that that might have gotten them back together. Um, and he says, perhaps the concealment, this disguise was beneath me. It is done, however, and it was done for the best. On this subject, I have nothing more to say, no other apology to offer. So then he goes to the other matter of Mr. Wickham, the, the more weighty accusation of having injured Mr. Wickham. He said, um, and he tells the story, he goes on in great detail about this. Yes, he was the son of a very respectable man who worked for my father. Uh, my father uh, was, uh, took him under his wing. He supported him at school. He sent him to college. Um, he was, however, not really a nice guy. My father liked him, but he didn't see all of his faults. Uh, and it says, I saw his real character. Uh, he did have, was supposed to have an inheritance, but it was on the uh, stipulation that he would take holy orders, that he would become a, a, a priest. Um, and that would give him a valuable living, a legacy of one, and a legacy of 1,000 pounds. But he resolved against taking orders, right? So he was going to, as, as, as Darcy says, I knew that Wickham ought not to be a clergyman. And so Dar after his father dies, Wickham says, look, I'm not going to be a clergyman. Why don't you give me the inheritance and we'll you know, kind of call it quits? And so Darcy actually gives him more than, than the actual inheritance. He gives him 3,000 pounds. Uh, and he's going to go to London and study the law and be a lawyer. Um, but he goes, he doesn't, he uses the money to, you know, to party and not to study. Uh, he, after he's used up all the money, he comes back to Darcy and says, you know, I've decided I am going to take holy orders, so I'll take the, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the job now. This is, would be a kind of job the way that Mr. Collins has. He would have a he'd be an established have an established living and an income, and uh, so he's saying, "Oh, well, I want that now." I says, and Darcy said, "I was not having that. Uh, I, you know, that was seemed ridiculous to me, so I rejected him." Um, I said, "Now that was bad enough," but then he found out that Wickham made some moves on Darcy's sister Georgiana. Uh, and tried to elope with her, and that was prevented. Um, and she was just 15 when this happened. He was, you know, um, as he says, this is the bottom of 140, Mr. Wickham's chief object was unquestionably my sister's fortune, which is 30,000 pounds. But I cannot help supporting the idea, supposing that the, uh, supposing that the hope of revenging himself on me was a strong inducement. Uh, so this is his real character. And he says, look, I know you don't like me, you don't believe me, but you can rely on Colonel Fitzwilliam. He was a, a co-guardian of my sister along with me. He was there for this whole thing. He knows it all. Talk to him, and you will know for sure that this is all the case. Now, this, again, this is a very long letter. In fact, uh, Elizabeth herself is shocked at how long it is when she gets it. And he goes into great, great detail here. Um, but now suddenly we're seeing all these things from his side, which we've never seen before. This is wonderful. It's kind of a through-the-looking-glass moment. Now the next chapter, chapter 13, 
is a remarkable chapter in the novel. It's almost entirely we're following Elizabeth's mind as she reacts to all of this news. Uh, it's going very internal here. Um, and it says, at first, she just completely rejects everything that he said about Jane. That's just ridiculous. But she, when she gets to Wickham, that's, she takes that maybe a little more seriously. Uh, it says she read the letter and reread it with the closest attention. Um, and then she starts to think about Wickham. This is page 142. She had never heard of him before his entry into the Blankshire militia. Now, that they do that. They have that dash shire. This was just a convention in, in novels of the time that you didn't give the, the real name. It was just a kind of a fictional convention. Instead of making up a, a you know, Herefordshire or whatever shire it was, they would put a dash there. Um, so she'd never heard of him before he came to, to the neighborhood. And she tried to recollect some instance of goodness some distinguished trait of integrity or benevolence. But no such recollection befriended her. The only thing that he had going for him was the general approbation of the neighborhood. People liked him because he was affable. She do, and she does never heard of him before. She doesn't know he could have said anything. Um, and it said in the middle of 143, she was now struck with the impertinence impropriety of such communications to a stranger. She's thinking about the first time that Wickham talked to her at the ball about what Darcy had done to him and thinking, you know, that's really not something that you would go up and tell somebody who you just met. That's very weird. She saw the indelicacy of putting himself forward as he had done and the inconsistency of his professions with his conduct. So the difference between what he said and what he did she remembered that he had boasted of having no fear of seeing Mr. Darcy, that Mr. Darcy might leave the country, but that he should stand his ground, yet he had avoided the Netherfield Ball that very next week. She remembered also that till the Netherfield family had quitted the country, he had told his story to no one but herself, but that after their removal it had been everywhere discussed, that he had then no reserves, no scruples, in sinking Mr. Darcy's character, though he had assured her that respect for the father would always prevent him exposing the son. So now she's thinking, look, his, you know, Wickham's story doesn't add up. He, 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 you know, the way he approached me about that, the things he said, the fact that he spread this story all around the minute that Darcy was out of the neighborhood and couldn't contradict him, says how differently did everything now appear in which he was concerned. She thinks about his attentions to Miss King um, and, you know, uh, all that seems very different, knowing what he did to Darcy's sister. Um, and then on page 144, we get her Elizabeth's self-reflection. She grew absolutely ashamed of herself, of neither Darcy nor Wickham could she think without feeling that she had been blind, partial, prejudiced, absurd. How despicably have I acted, she cried. I, who have prided myself on discernment. I, who have valued myself on my, abs on my abilities, who have often disdained the generous candor of my sister and gratified my vanity in useless or blamable distrust. How humiliating is this discovery. How, yet, how just a humiliation. 
Had I been in love, I could not have been more wretchedly blind. But vanity, not love, has been my folly. Pleased with the preference of one, and offended by the neglect of the other, on the, on the very beginning of our acquaintance, I have courted a prepossession and ignorance, and driven reason away, where either were concerned. Till this moment, I never knew myself. So this is this is a huge turning point. Uh, this is the moment where Elizabeth has to look at herself and say, "Look, I have I have prejudged things. I have not, you know, thought carefully. I didn't like Darcy, so I was eager to hear the bad things Wickham had to say about him." Wickham seemed nice and charming to talk with and could make small talk about the weather. And so I thought, well, he's a great guy. Of course he's right. Um, and it, it says, as she rereads the letter, it says, widely different was the effect of a second perusal. And she says she remembers, you know, that this talk about Jane not being um, obvious in her affections. Well, she said, you know, my friend Charlotte said just that. And she did. If you go back in, in, in Volume 1, Chapter 6, uh, Charlotte is saying, you know, maybe Jane should be a little bit more open about how she feels about uh, Bingley. Not everybody knows her as well as you do. They're not going to see, he's not necessarily going to see that she really likes him. Um, and she begins to see her family in a new light. Uh, and she said the justice of the charge uh, struck her. Uh, she can see, yes, they are, um, I, I can see how it would be embarrassing uh, the way that her mother carries on in public, the way her younger sisters uh, carry on about the officers. So suddenly Elizabeth is having to reevaluate everything that's happened in the story so far. She's seeing things with uh, in a new light. Now I want you to think about what this this chapter, which really is almost all of uh, Elizabeth's internal monologue shows us about her character. Uh, Jane Austen is one of the her many talents is the way that she creates such detailed, realistic characters. And you can see the psychological reality of this, the fact that she rejects it at first and then slowly begins to see, oh, wait, there's that point, oh, and, and that, and oh, yeah, that fits too. And at first, she completely rejects the stuff about Jane at first, and it, but the stuff about Wickham, that begins to weigh on her. And as she thinks about it more carefully, she sees that she's the one who has misjudged. And after she's gone through that, then she goes back and thinks about what uh, uh, Darcy had written about Jane, and suddenly, oh yeah, there's some justice in that too. Um, and one of the things, I, it presents many things. One of the things is that she is able to change her mind here. She is not, I mean, this is not like Mr. Collins being rejected and saying, oh, that's what all young ladies do. Uh, she, it, it, makes, it makes her look at herself and she has enough strength of character to look at herself and accept blame for the way she's looked at things. Uh, it makes her... It's interesting. At the same time, it shows us how wrong Elizabeth has been, but also makes us like her more because she's willing to admit it. Um, and it's also, it's an important hinge both in her character changing and, as we will see, in Mr. Darcy's character changing. And even perhaps more importantly, in a romantic novel such as this, in Elizabeth's feelings about Darcy beginning to change. She has had to see that, well, 
his way of looking at this is right. Uh, Jane didn't make it clear to Bingley how, how she felt about him. My family is embarrassing. My mother does not know how to, you know, behaves horribly. Um, I, I, and I can, and, you know, we're, there's no reason why you wouldn't be embarrassed by that. She has to accept all of those things. And you can see in, in the next chapter, as she, she's going to be leaving, uh, or, you know, finishing her visit and going back home, but she's still thinking about Darcy's letter. And page 147, this is chapter 14 of volume two. Mr. Darcy's letter, she was in a fair way of knowing by heart. She studied every sentence, and, and her feelings toward its writer were at times widely different. When she remembered the style of his address, she was still full of indignation. But when she considered how unjustly she had condemned and upbraided him, her anger was turned against herself, and his disappointed feelings became the object of compassion. His attachment excited gratitude, his general character respect. But she could not approve of him, nor could she for a moment repent her refusal or feel the slightest inclination ever to see him again. In her own past behavior, there was a constant source of vexation and regret, and in the unhappy defect of her family, a subject of yet heavier chagrin. So, again, she's she feels she's feeling kind of sorry for him and, and embarrassed for herself. Look, she no look. I, I'm glad I didn't accept the proposal, and I really don't want to see him again. But I was wrong, and I was harsh, and I accused him of things that he was not guilty of. I I, I have a lot to apologize for. But it also gets her thinking about her family. They were hopeless of remedy. Her father, contented with laughing at them, would never exert himself to restrain the wild giddiness of his youngest daughters, and her mother, with manner so far from right herself, was entirely insensible of the evil. So she's saying, look, my, fa my, my mother, she doesn't, she doesn't know enough herself to, she doesn't even realize that her youngest daughters are doing anything inappropriate. And her father just sits back and thinks it's entertaining. He's not going to intervene. He's, he's off in his study kind of laughing at us all and not taking responsibility for any of it. And she says some pretty harsh things about her youngest sisters, too. She says, Catherine was weak-spirited, irritable, and completely under Lydia's guidance. Lydia's the youngest had been always affronted by their advice. And Lydia, self-willed and careless, would scarcely give them a hearing. They were ignorant, idle, and vain. Uh, so she's, you know, kind of real, you know, this has made her see how somebody outside of her family would think about her family. Uh, now, this kind of, of self-knowledge and willing to see things uh, as they really are is wonderfully contrasted in the next chapter, in chapter 15, where we get Mr. Collins talking about his relationship with his wife. This is the middle of book 149. He says, My dear Charlotte and I have but one mind and one way of thinking. There is in everything a most remarkable resemblance of character and ideas between us. We seem to have been designed for each other. Like, what is he talking about? 
uh, Charlotte isn't like him at all. Uh, they are not of one. But but he, that's the way that he thinks marriage is supposed to be. So that's the way that it is. Uh, Mr. Collins has no uh, no is not in touch with reality at all. Uh, and I don't. It doesn't seem like he would be even capable of it. Uh, but Elizabeth has been knocked out of her kind of complacency and is seeing things more clearly now. Now, when Elizabeth gets back home, she's been kind of worried about how she's going to deal with Wickham, because remember, he's one of the soldiers stationed there in town. But she finds out very soon, as chapter 16, that uh, they are going in a fortnight, fortnight, 14 nights, two weeks. So just two weeks, uh, they're going to encamp near Brighton. And so, of course, Lydia and Elizabeth, the two youngest daughters, says, well, we should go to Brighton for, the, for our holiday, and then we could be near the soldiers again and flirt with them. That's all. That they, they're just boy crazy. That's all they have on their mind. And look at what we have Lydia saying at bottom of page 151. It says, there is no danger of Wickham marrying, uh, marrying Mary King. There's for you. She has gone down to her uncle in Liverpool, gone to stay. Wickham is safe. And Mary King is safe, added Elizabeth, safe from a connection imprudent as to fortune. Uh, she she kind of catches herself. Uh, well, oh yeah, you know, he she wouldn't have gotten a lot of money if she married Wickham. Uh, and then she is a great fool for going away if she liked him. But I hope there is no strong attachment on either side, said Jane. I'm sure there is not on his. I will answer answer for it. He never cared three straws for her. Who could care about such a nasty little freckled thing? On the top of the next page, Elizabeth was shocked to think that, however incapable of such uh, coarseness of expression herself, the coarseness of the sentiment was little other than her own breast had formerly harbored and fancied li- and fancied liberal. So here again, Elizabeth is being educated. She's saying, "Look." Lydia, what Lydia just said is is horrible, and you know was was rude in the way she put it. But I really felt the same thing, in in my uh, you know I I've, I had the same sentiment if I I might have expressed it better. And we're getting a real picture of Lydia here uh, and how frivolous she is. Uh, look in the middle of one fifty three. She's Lydia's been talking about how she wants to go you know be with the soldiers, and her her sister Mary, the bookworm, says. To this, Mary very gravely replied, Far be it from me, my dear sister, to deprecate such pleasures. They would doubtless be uh, congenial with the generality of female minds, but I confess they would have no charms for me. I should infinitely prefer a book. But of this answer Lydia heard not a word. She seldom listened to anybody for more than half a minute, and she never attended to Mary at all. Uh, so we're seeing really what a you know really kind of what a spoiled little brat Lydia is. Uh, she's very immature, um, and she she wants to go. All she wants to do is go and be around the soldiers again and flirt with them. Uh, Elizabeth has more serious concerns on her mind. She's worried about seeing Wickham again. Now in the next chapter, Elizabeth uh, chapter uh, seventeen. Elizabeth is going to tell Jane all the stuff about Wickham that she knows. Now, notice that she decides, as at the top of the beginning of the chapter, uh, Elizabeth's impatience to acquaint Jane with what had happened 
could no longer be overcome, and at length, resolving to suppress every particular in which her sister was concerned, and preparing her to be surprised, she related to her the next morning the chief of the scene between Mr. Darcy and herself. Uh, the important thing here is that she's suppressing all the thing that has to do with Jane. She doesn't want Jane to know that Bingley really did was falling in love with her and that that was prevented. She's just going to focus on the news about Wickham. And when Jane hears it and realizes, you know, what a, what a scoundrel Wickham really is, she has a very interesting comment. She says, there was certainly some great mismanagement in the education of these two young men. One has got all the goodness and the other all the appearance of it. Uh, that's so wonderful. That's exactly it. Wickham looks like he's the good guy. Uh, Bing, uh, Darcy does not. But it's exactly the opposite. That's you know they, they weren't. And she blames that they 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 weren't properly educated. You know, um, and they have to decide: Are we going to reveal this? Are we going to out Wickham and let everybody know what what how how badly he's behaved? And Elizabeth says that um, Mr. Darcy has not authorized me to make his communication public. You know, I really don't. It's not my right to tell all of this. And they're saying, well, you know, Wickham's going to be leaving in a couple of weeks, and uh, it's probably better if we just don't say anything, and it'll just kind of go away. And uh, again, about the other part of the letter, she doesn't say anything. And it says that Jane was not happy. She still cherished a very tender affection for Bingley. So she's still pining for him. It's not, uh, she's not over that at all. Now, in the next chapter, Lydia, the youngest sister, gets an invitation from Colonel Foster's wife to accompany them to Brighton. So that would mean she would get to go be in the same neighborhood as the soldiers when they were stationed in Brighton. Um, and she's kind of wearing her father down. Uh, but Elizabeth wants to talk to her dad about it and, and counsel him against doing it. Um she says that, look, you know, she's she's wild. She'll be out of control. And look at what Mr. Bennett says. This is the bottom of 158. Lydia will never be easy till she has exposed herself in some public place or other, and we can never expect her to do it with so little expense or inconvenience to her family as under the present circumstances. So think about what he's saying there. He's saying, look, until Lydia has embarrassed herself publicly, She's never going to settle down. Well, let her go off to Brighton, and she can embarrass herself publicly there, and it won't be such a nuisance to us. Um, Mr. Bennett is just kind of, has this reserve, uh, this distance from his family uh, that is uh, actually kind of very irresponsible. And Elizabeth tells him, this is the top of 159, if you were aware, said Elizabeth, a very great disadvantage to us all, which must arise from pu the public notice of Lydia's unguarded and imprudent manner, nay, which has already arisen from it, I am sure you would judge differently in the affair. Now she's, of course, Elizabeth is thinking about how this has cost, uh, what it has cost her sister Jane in her relationship with Bingley. Mr. Bennet replies, arisen already, repeated Mr. Bennet, what? Has she frightened away some of your lovers? Poor little Lizzie, but do not be cast down. Such squeamous youths can as cannot bear to be connected with a little absurdity are not worth a regret. Come, let me see the list of the pitiful fellows who have been kept aloof by Lydia's folly. 
Now, he's just making a joke out of this. Oh, did, did, did she frighten away some men who, were, who liked you? Um, well, they couldn't be worth having if they were frightened by that. Um, well, you know, interestingly, this novel, which is so much about changing impressions of people, uh, Mr. Bennett seems very kind, very admirable at the very beginning of the book. You know, in the first couple of chapters, he seems, uh, you know, again, kind of uh, sly and all this. But as the novel goes on, you begin to see that that kind of, uh, the, the, his sly humor comes from a complete emotional detachment from the, the, the people around him. Uh, and this is Elizabeth, who is his favorite, and he, he kind of passes it off as a joke. Um, Elizabeth presses on it. She says, If you, my dear father, will not take the trouble of checking her exuberant spirits and of teaching her that her present pursuits are not to be the business of her life, she will soon be beyond the reach of amendment. Her character will be fixed, and she will, at sixteen, be the most determined flirt that ever made herself or her and her family ridiculous. A flirt, too, in the worst and meanest degree of flirtation without any associate attraction beyond youth and a tolerable person, and from the ignorance and emptiness of her mind, wholly unable to ward any uh, portion of the universal contempt which, uh, which her rage for admiration will excite. In this danger Kitty is also comprehended. She will follow wherever Lydia leads, vain, ignorant, idle, and absolutely uncontrolled. Now this is, I mean, she's Elizabeth's really coming out here. She's, she's, uh, you know, accusing her father basically of bad parenting. Right? Look, look, if you're not going to take Lydia under control, nobody will, and soon it's going to be too late. But, uh, you know, Mr. Bennett's pretty sanguine about it. He says, um, he says, he says, Colonel Foster is a sensible man, and he will keep her out of any real mischief, and. Uh, she is lucky to be poor, too poor to be an object of prey to anybody. Yeah, well, Colonel Foster's there, and look, it's not like somebody's going to try to uh, marry her for her money. She doesn't have any. Um, so he's going to let her go on, and mainly it seems to be because it'll be more peaceful for him. Uh, and as he says, you know, Lydia can embarrass herself somewhere else. Now, before all the soldiers leave and Lydia goes off with them for the for the summer. Um, we meet Wickham again for one more time. This is uh, page 161. And Elizabeth tells uh, Wickham that she had been uh, at Rosings and had seen Darcy there. And uh, she asks, uh, Wickham says, his manners are very different from his cousins. That is that uh, Fitzwilli Colonel Fitzwilliam and Darcy are very differently mannered. Yes, very different. But I think Mr. Darcy improves on acquaintance. Indeed, cried Wickham, with a look which did not escape her. And, pray may I ask, but checking himself, he added in a, in a uh, gayer tone, is it his address that he improves? Uh, has he deigned to add aught of civility to his ordinary style? For I dare hope not, he continued in a lower and more serious tone, that he has improved in essentials. Oh, no, said Elizabeth, in essentials I believe he is very much what he ever was. Now, this is wonderful, uh, the wonderful irony here uh, that Elizabeth just said, oh, no, he's the same as he ever was. But what she's saying is, no, Darcy's the same. It's my view of him that has changed. 
And the, the, that ambiguity is something that, you know, Wickham can't quite figure out. He doesn't know about that. And she, and here now we can see that uh, Elizabeth, now that she knows the situation, is very observant. She can see how Wickham reacts to this and how, how nervous he is about this. Um, so we we see that Elizabeth, is, it's not that she's unobservant. She just misjudged in this particular case. Now, the last chapter of Volume 2, uh, Chapter 19, uh, begins with Elizabeth thinking about her father and his marriage. That her father, captivated by youth and beauty and that appearance of good humor which youth and beauty generally give, had married a woman whose weak understanding and illiberal mind had very early in their marriage put an end to all real affection for her. Respect, esteem, and confidence had vanished forever and all his views of domestic happiness were overthrown. So he's pointing out that it looks like Mr. Bennett had some misjudged poorly. He, he met, when he met uh, Mrs. Bennett, when he met his, uh, Elizabeth's mother, she was beautiful and she was affable, and he thought that would be great, and he didn't notice that they really weren't compatible. Um, and he has kind of retreated, as it says, he was fond of the country and of books, uh, and from these tastes had arisen his principal enjoyments. Um, and it says that Elizabeth, however, had never been blind to the impropriety of her father's behavior as a husband. She had always seen it with pain, but respecting his abilities and grateful for his affectionate treatment of herself, she endeavored to forget that she could not overlook and to banish from her thought that continual breach of conjugal obligation and decorum which, in exposing his wife to the contempt of her own children, was so highly reprehensible. But she had never felt so strongly as now the disadvantages which must attend the children of so unsuitable a marriage, nor ever been so fully aware of the evils arising from so ill-judged a direction of talents, talents which, rightly used, might at least have preserved the respectability of his daughters, even if incapable of enlarging the mind of his wife. So Elizabeth is, is seeing a lot of things more clearly now. Uh, she's seeing, and she's, her, she's, her, she's daddy's little girl. She's daddy's favorite. But she sees that he, in withdrawing from his wife, he's also withdrawn as a father. Uh, he's, he's neglected his duties as a husband and as a father. He hasn't been a, a guide to his to the the daughters now Elizabeth and Jane seem to turn out well, but the younger sisters have just run wild, and Mr. Bennett has done nothing to change that. Now, in the rest of the this last chapter, we find uh, Elizabeth is going on holiday that was uh, mentioned before with her aunt and uncle with the gardeners, and they're going up into the, they were going to go to the lake country. Uh, but it turned out that the you know that uh, uh, Mr. Gardner had some business that means he has to cut the the trip short, so they can't go quite that far. Uh, they're going up to Derbyshire, and that's going to be where Pemberley is. Remember that is Mr. Darcy's estate, and 
this is something that uh, Elizabeth's kind of worried about. She would, do, she doesn't want to go there and see Darcy again because she is mortified. She has insulted him because she didn't understand what was going on. Um, she's still saying, I'm not going to marry him, but uh, I'm really embarrassed. I would really rather not see him. Uh, but she hears that the, the family is... Uh, Darcy's family is not going to be there, so they may go and see the estates, the grounds of, of Pemberley and then the great house at Pemberley, uh, and that will be okay. Now, uh, if you have read any stories ever, you probably know that she is going to see Darcy when she goes to Pemberley. So we'll see that in the next section, in the in the first half of Volume 3 of Pride and Prejudice, uh, chapters 1 through 9, uh, that's chapters, uh, if you don't have the volumes marked, that's uh, chapters 43 through 51. Uh, we're going to see Elizabeth's visit to Pemberley. And I want you to think about how this is contributing to her changing opinions of Darcy. What is it that she sees here in the estate that um, alters the way that she feels about Mr. Darcy? Now, also, if you have ever read any book ever, uh, you can imagine that Lydia is going to get into trouble. And the trouble that she gets into is going to be the major action that uh, uh, starts the, the, the kind of the, the winding up of the story of the book. So you'll see what uh, problems she gets into. And look at how the different members of the family deal with Lydia's problems, what they do, uh, how they react. Uh, what they do about it, and how the, how it gets resolved. Uh, so we'll be talking about all of that, uh, the first half of Volume 3, for next time. Uh, I thank you for your attention, and I will talk to you then.